2: listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. Now, I'm not really sure what the big uproar is all about. All this this freaking out, all this hysteria. I mean, the media is all whipped up into a frenzy, and people are shaking their clenched fists, and accusations are flying fast and furious. I mean, it's not like people haven't been doing this since we figured out that we could, all things being equal and all. I mean, why is this so upsetting? Other cultures do it, and they enjoy it with with great relish, with enjoyment. It's part of their culture. I mean, I have no problem with it. I mean, seriously, what's wrong with eating horse? It's, It's just meat, like any other meat. Meat's meat. Just because they're pretty and they have shiny long hair and long manes and nice leather accessories and great legs and they run fast and everything. I mean, at some point, all that goes away. Uh, Look at Cher. And then what? Glue or meat or maybe pet food? I'll take meat, please. Now, a few years ago, I was in Tokyo and I ate horse there. I ate horse sashimi in Tokyo. So it was raw and it was great it was dark and deep red and lean and tender and a little bit chewy it was like good venison which is another pretty sleek coated fast runner who we should be eating a lot more of too i mean them and rabbits you know cute cuddly fuzzy and kind of delicious and while we're at it, let's talk about eating wild boar. How about we eat a whole lot more wild boar? Because those bastards cause all kinds of havoc and destruction on the planet. But they taste really great. So let's eat them all. And while we're talking about it, let's eat more goat too. But horse. Oh, no, no. We we can't eat horse. Oh, no. Horse. They're our friends. They're our companions. Our trusty steeds. They're, horses are how we won the West. Horses are an icon of our very Americanness. I mean, how else could a little Jewish boy from the Bronx named Ralph Lifshitz grow up to be the billionaire icon of American style and be the major sponsor of Downton Abbey, a show about an aristocratic British family who wouldn't have allowed those low-class Jewish tailors anywhere near their charmed life. But just by drawing a little man riding a horse and swinging a stick and then sewing it onto a cotton shirt? he became the style icon of America because of his, his association with horses. And horses, like dogs, we have our sentimental attachment to them until we don't, and we use them up. And, and then they wear out, like cars or... them what? Glue or meat? Like I said, I'll take meat, please. Thank you, Mr. Carson. Now, of course, the problem in Europe... <laughs> with the horse meat, which I'm sure you've heard about, is not the actual consumption of horse itself, although that is totally freaking out the British because the British have a distaste for eating horse, whereas the French and the Italians and the Germans, they've always eaten horse. The problem in Europe is the deception, the illegal and unlabeled and undisclosed addition of horse meat to packaged foods. And now meatballs at Ikea, which I find just sort of horrifying, but also kind of funny. It's the deception, and that maybe, really definitely, that horse meat that they're eating is coming from old, doped-up, drug-addled racehorse meat, like share again, which would also kind of explain what happened to chastity, and that's a problem, because food labels should be accurate, although I say if a food has a label, it's not food, it's foodiness, and you shouldn't eat it, but we'll we'll get to that later, but... Labels should be accurate. We put our faith into them. But screaming about finding horse meat in your frozen packaged lasagna and frozen packaged bolognese sauce and frozen packaged burger patties and frozen packaged anything is like screaming about your meth being cut with baking soda or your Chinese baby formula being filled with lead or your lead being tainted with Chinese babies. You get what you pay for, people. Too lazy to actually cook your own food? then maybe your lasagna's gonna have horse meat in it. Too scared to cook your own meth? Well, it's all about quality control with drugs. I mean, just look at Charlie Sheen, right? Too narcissistic, maybe, to breastfeed? Well, then, your baby has a good chance of being dumb, but that's okay, because maybe then he can grow up to be the next Fox News anchor. This is America, still the land of opportunity, especially for old horses. Now, underlying all of this is the delicious irony that while nobody is up in arms about the pesticides, estrogen, antibiotics, or cancer-causing artificial colors and flavors intentionally put in our food, everyone is up in arms, or maybe hooves, or rather furiously updating that their food has, that food has been found in our food, actually. Gasp. I mean, talk about a new chasm in the foodiness rabbit hole. Now, as you know, Let's Get Real is a show about looking at the world through the prism of food to see just how far we've become removed from reality. And the horse meat scandal is a perfect example. Yes, we can all agree, even I can too, that there really should not be undisclosed horse meat added to processed foods. And yes, that the horse meat is probably... Definitely coming from old Lance Armstrong level doping used up racehorses. And that's sickening and not the kind of thriftiness and recycling that I support. But that's not the real point. The real point is that people are buying frozen, packaged, pre made foodiness products and putting their entire trust and faith into the companies that are producing those products. And we all know what happens when you put your entire trust and faith into anything without a healthy dose of skepticism or questioning, right? Yes, the correct answer is Catholicism. Or the alleged moon landings or tainted lasagna and foodiness. So shake your clenched fist, or rather Instagram a picture of a raised fist you found on Google Images and rage against the foodiness machine all you want, But you ate that lasagna-flavored communion wafer, so that body of horse is a part of you now. Now, mind you, the same people who are outraged about horse meat found in their lasagna defend the right of corporate America to feed us flavored styrofoam. And that not-eating taco-flavored styrofoam is elitist. Foodiness is what happens when you put that trust and faith into an entity who promises the experience of food but removes anything real about the food, like where it came from or what it smells like or where it grew or how it grew or what it ate or what it actually tastes like, or maybe it's season, or when it's good and when it's bad. And when you have nothing but veggie puffs and horsey frozen microwavable lasagna, you don't have to know any of those things. Foodiness has become the equivalent to drone warfare. You're a redneck in Topeka using an Xbox joystick to blow up people in Iraq, and it's just another video game. You don't have to know the gritty reality of war or the gritty reality of your food. So what's the problem there? Why should you be exposed to the gritty reality of food? Because the fact that foodiness tastes like shit by removing everything that's real about food, you also remove its ability to nourish you. Please see the recent diabetes epidemic sweeping the developed and semi-developed world for reference. We're undernourished and overfed at the same time. Foodiness has made us fat and die of malnutrition. So this past Sunday, I took an 11-mile walk in Brooklyn. I'm not bragging. Okay, yeah, I am bragging. I didn't feel up to running. I was slightly hungover from a dinner party the night before, and I wanted a big bowl of pho. So I walked there with the mister, and along the way we passed by a couple of Brooklyn's live poultry markets. Now, you know those poultry markets are coming because you can smell them a block away. What happens to me usually is I go, I smell horse. And then I remember, no, it's not horse. It's chickens in cages. Now, I guess those markets cater mostly to the Latino and Muslim populations who want their meat alive until it's not. For reasons of faith or freshness or whatever, they want to see that chicken and stare it in the eyes before its throat is cut. And I can respect that. I think it's good to know who you're eating. Although my question has always been, who knows where the animals in the live poultry market are coming from? Is it some idyllic farm where they can frolic and run free on pasture somewhere up in the Hudson Valley? Or is it just some factory farm that sets aside a few dozen animals a week for the live market? I don't know. I don't shop there, so I've never asked. But I like the fact of their existence. I like that probably 100 years after Brooklyn's last farm was paved paved over, there are still some live animals other than rats and pigeons scratching its ancient soils. Or concrete, rather. And one of the markets actually has uncaged ducks and chickens just running around the floor of the place, kind of like a tiny urban barnyard right there in Sunset Park. And I find that kind of charming in a very gross way and a very long way from frozen lasagna. I mean, the point is, if that is that if you bought a live chicken to cook, you know, there won't be any horse in that chicken. So anyway, one day we were parking our car because we wanted to go to our favorite produce market, which is next door to a live animal market. And right there was a tractor trailer, 18-wheeler, full of live sheep just being delivered. Live sheep just herded right off the truck right there on 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn as if Little Bo Peep had, you know, just set her rig down right there. And it was just blocks away from Costco where... They were selling packs of pre-French lamb racks flown in from Australia, shrink-wrapped, odorless, and bloodless. No face, no wool, no sheep-pooped dingleberries hanging off their shaggy asses for $15 a pound. The contrast and the contradiction were not lost on me. Especially not as I pondered the stinky, squawking chickens sitting there awaiting their execution, while up the block, their cousins had been turned into the Costco cafe's chicken sticks. The chicken stick at Costco is a breaded log of chicken paste served on a stick, like an elongated gigantic nugget on a stick. It was truly food-meeting foodiness. And then yet again, just a few short blocks away, in up-its-own-ass Park Slope, another meaty phenomenon was occurring, the opening of a new butcher shop. Real butchers started to fade away probably about 25 years ago as supermarkets and warehouse stores were forced to buy pre-cut boxed meat. That's what it's called when it comes in already cut down into primals, boxed meat, from the three or so huge meat monopolies that had evolved out west by basically absorbing all the smaller meat producers. And local slaughterhouses started to shut down because local meat farmers couldn't make a living anymore. And so butchers started to fade away, as did so many other highly skilled food craftspeople. Now, luckily, that's changing. We live in the era of the artisan craft food producer now. And thanks to companies like Heritage Foods, who own Heritage Radio, and many devoted small farmers, we can finally get good local meat. Or more specifically, real meat and not foodiness meat, in our hipster havens of Brooklyn and Berkeley and Portland, sandwiched in between the hipster Bank of America and the hipster Dwayne Reed with the growler bar and the hipster Subway that sells seasonal sandwiches now. And someone has to learn how to cut all that meat all over again, thus the rise of the new urban young butcher guys. Mostly guys, unfortunately. Although Chris, my co-producer, tells me that at Foragers Market in Chelsea there is a nice butcherette. Emphasis on the butch. It was a natural growth out of fear and disgust for all things industrialized that led to this and an embrace of all things artisanal and natural and real and expensive because real meat costs. But that's okay because that way we eat a lot less of it and we're a lot more thrifty with it. Like in Little House on the Prairie, which I always reference when they butchered their animals and not a scrap was wasted the craft services table notwithstanding. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we get back, more about meatiness and foodiness. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Onions Milk. By Ig Dean on the Heritage Radio Network.org. This is Chris Howell from Kane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit cane 5com
2: Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Weid, your host. Remember that if you like Let's Get Real or any other Heritage Radio Network show, you can find all of them at heritageradionetwork.org. You can also find them all on iTunes. And you can also become a fan of my show on Facebook. Just look for Let's Get Real. You can also follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. And, of course, you can always check out my website, Let's let'sgetrealshow.com, where you can also watch videos. And soon you'll be able to watch videos of me sitting here talking on this microphone doing this show. You can also check out my recent Dr. Oz appearance, which was very interesting. So the rise of extreme foodiness has no doubt been the trigger for that chicken log on a stick that I was talking about, and the horsey lasagna counterpart. The real food movement is the reaction to that. We talk a lot about it here on Let's Get and most of it has to do with eating pastured eggs and grass-fed dairy and raising vegetables and bees and going to farmer's markets and knowing to buy your grass-fed beef and your wild fish, but only certain fish and only those species that you can eat that week because the species change all the time and there's no way to know which ones really that you can eat because they're constantly changing it so you get all confused and nervous and you just wind up eating a can of sardines because this week they say that that's okay. Oh, and Let's Get Real is also about orthorexia too. Let's not forget about that. So you know how I talk a lot about how foodiness is pushing people further down the rabbit hole of total removal from their food with products like artificial sweeteners with added vitamins and Pepsi with fiber and fruit and cereal bars with no fruit. Well, the real food movement is pushing their envelope too. Meat and butchering and the cult of the real is kind of like sex in the late 1970s heyday of gritty pre-Giuliani New York right before AIDS hit. It's sticky and bloody and sweaty and smelly with a certain element of risk and danger and a lot of macho posturing and a lot of big mustaches. Like the meatpacking district in the 70s where all kinds of meat was packed, not just dead meat. In the way that the edgy, gritty, all-too-real life of New York started to vaporize in the 80s and 90s and was gone by 2000, it's like the meat experience is trying too hard to become anti-sterilized and anti-removed. All this meaty machismo and male chef bloody posturing. Who can outdo each other in their embrace of the whole hog, literally? I mean, it's great, don't get me wrong. From a real foods perspective and in contrast to the industrial system, I am thrilled and I hope it stays this way forever. And maybe a hundred years from now, we'll look back on the industrial system we have and think that we were crazy to do it that way. I'm just a little bit over the tattooed chefs with their gleaming scimitars and cleavers posing with dead animals around their necks in food magazines to show how earthy and down with the program they are, man. We get it. It's been done by many, many before you. Let's kill the trend and just make it the norm, okay? It doesn't have to be your identity. It can just be who you are. It can just be food. I mean, have ever, any of these guys ever been to undeveloped countries? Any of these boys ever get to the third world? Try buying your meat in a place like Vietnam or Honduras, where they kill it on the spot, and then it sits out in the hot sun, covered in flies until someone buys it. There, it's just called food. No tattoos, no mustaches. Well, maybe in Honduras, the mustaches. Vietnamese men don't have much facial hair, so... They don't have those mustaches. It's even gone super mainstream, which I think is funny. We've really hit like a a tipping point with this. A few weeks ago, I happened to be watching this very stupid sitcom called Suburgatory about a father, a single dad, and his daughter who moved from the city out to the suburbs. And, you know, like all sitcoms, hijinks ensue. And on Suburgatory, the guy had a date... For Valentine's Day. But the Valentine's Day date stood him up. And he had a reservation at the hottest table in town. So he went by himself. Where he ate an 18 course meal. Of all offal and blood. And tongue and hooves. And all the meaty odd bits. That are so hip right now. On every restaurant menu in the city. And it was complete. With the snarling, sneering. Tattooed, mustachioed hipster chefs. In the background. Even a cameo by Michael Voltaggio himself playing the chef. He's a real chef. FYI. Meat is hot right now. Meat is it. People who are embracing meat now would have been vegetarians 20 years ago when that was hip, but meat is hot. And the more real and bloody and close to the hoof, the better. Now this is nothing new. This is how people ate and still do eat in most of the world. This was always just food We've just fallen way too far down that rabbit hole of industrialized processed packaged foodiness meat. So it's okay that it's trendy now. You need to hit the extremes before you can settle in the middle. Trends turn into mainstream norms. Just look at all those tattoos. Now a trip to foodiness re-education camp usually does the trick for people who've fallen down the rabbit hole and can't get out. Chris, my co-producer, was the first graduate of Foodiness Reeducation Camp. But when we met, he was still eating Boca Burgers and Diet Sprite. I had to break him down and rebuild him the way that most cults, I mean good causes, usually do. And now that he's been re-educated, he knows what to do and where to buy his food and what to eat, sort of. He shops at Foragers Market in Chelsea, and they only sell local and organic and artisanal, etc. And mostly it's a great store if just a little too pricey, and the people who work there aren't so good with the cash register and the money, and sometimes they'll accidentally charge you $40 for your apples and your butter. But it's okay. They're trying. It forces Chris to actually check his receipts from time to time, which is good because he's so WASPY programmed that he won't do it, but as a Jew, I can totally respect and condone that. So he went in there a few days ago to do what he calls his Alice routine, Now, he's not referring to my Alice from down the foodiness rabbit hole, but rather Alice from the Brady Bunch, who would go to see Sam the butcher to buy the family's meat. And his Alice routine involves looking at the freshly cut steaks and ground beef that's not shrink-wrapped that some 20-something butchy butcher just cut for him, and it makes him feel like the right kind of people, as opposed to the wrong kind of people who go next door to Gristiti's and buy shrink-wrapped packages of pre-ground hamburger meat. So he goes in there recently, and his eyes fall upon a whole pig carcass on the butcher counter, which shook him up a little bit, because he's okay eating real food, he just doesn't want to see its face. And even though he was brought up in Birmingham, Alabama, and grew up on a plantation with slaves, he said he thought it was a little disturbing, but he felt that generally, as a brand statement for the store, it was okay, it was good branding. But then he went in a few days later and he saw what he referred to as severed pig paws in the meat case. And he called me all hysterical because of that. He said it was too much for him. Too Silence of the Lambs. Too Buffalo Bill for him and all. He said he almost vomited on the display counter. Now, seriously, what a pussy. I am taking him to foodiness reeducation camp level two, which involves a walk through Sunset Park. He can puke all over Third Avenue in Brooklyn, but he needs to be toughened up. You can't co-write, let's get real, and be scared of pigs' feet, let alone call them paws. That's just a little bit too delicate, especially for a gay man who bartended at a leather bar in the meatpacking district in the 90s. I'll say no more. And speaking of silence of the lambs, I know that before on the show I've talked to you about how I worked for a month years ago on a grass-fed lamb farm. I was an intern on the farm. And that got me over all my squeamishness and all my sensitivity to slaughtering and butchering. Now, I've always liked to butcher and to fabricate meat because I like to carve things. And in fact, I probably would have been a very good plastic surgeon, come to think of it. And if I, if I hadn't smoked so much pot and cut too many classes in high school, I might have actually gone to medical school and been a plastic surgeon now. And instead of hosting Let's Get Real and plotting my way to becoming the John Stewart of food, I'd be cutting the faces off of rich women and reality show wannabes and maybe pumping my own face full of Botox after work. It doesn't really sound like such a bad life. But before this visit to the lamb farm, I had never killed before, except maybe bugs and fish and lobsters, but no mammals. And after a few hours on the kill floor there, I was totally over that, too. I vanquished that. And I think foodiness re-education camp level three might have to involve a field trip to the lamb farm. Now, Chris is going to be our first student. I need to bring him even closer to his food, so close that you can smell the blood and the poop. This will be the food slash foodiness rehab version of those parties in California that I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had read about in the Times where people go to parties and then are forced to hand over their phones and their devices for two hours so that they can actually interact with one another on a human level. And it makes them all crazy and anxiety ridden and looking like meth addicts needing a fix. But in a way, it's really for their own good. They have to look each other in the eye. And look that horse in the face before you eat him. And that's my role, to get you off the foodiness and acting less like a meth head and to look those horses in the face before you eat them. Now, back in college, which was a very long time ago, I read a book in on paper, a real book, called... Diet for a New America, by a guy named John Robbins. Now, John Robbins was the heir to the enormous Baskin-Robbins fortune, but he turned it down to become a vegan activist, which to me is all the more proof that being a vegan makes you stupid. His book was an expose on the meat and egg and dairy industries, and reading it made me actually become a vegetarian for a while. Back then, as far as I knew, almost all our food was industrialized, at least what I thought I could get get or afford. I mean, we had farmer's markets in New York, but uh, we were pretty industrial still back then. So I became a vegetarian, but I didn't do it right. I lived on pasta and bagels, and I got really fat and really sick and tired all the time. And I think I actually became pre-diabetic now that I know about those symptoms. I was well on my way to becoming diabetic. If you're going to be a vegetarian or even a vegan, you have to do it right. It's a lot of work because you have to eat non-meat real food, which takes a lot of work and preparation, as opposed to frozen vegan lasagna like they sell at Organic Avenue. But I didn't do it right, and I feel better as an omnivore, as I've talked about here often. Foodiness is just as insidious when it comes to vegetarians and vegans, too, maybe even worse because the health halo on those products is so much shinier for them. Just because it's vegetarian or vegan certainly doesn't make it better. You're really probably better off eating horse. At least horses eat grass. Horses are vegan, but without the fatigue and the smug self righteousness. And as far as I know, horses aren't being fed other ground up dead horses yet. They're still vegans. And maybe it's better to eat a vegan than to be one. Which, of course, will be happening come the apocalypse. I mean, after all, once they start discovering food in our microwavable lasagna, you know the end is near. That and the fact that season three of Downton Abbey and 30 Rock just went off the air and now there's nothing to watch but RuPaul's Drag Race and old episodes of Mr. Ed. Imagine what he would have to say about all of this. And so, as we always say here at Let's Get Real and what we will tattoo over your old tramp stamp when you leave foodiness Reeducation camp, if you don't want to eat shit, And you don't want to be too squeamish to eat vegans after the apocalypse. Keep on tuning in to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks to Joe in the control room, and we'll see you next week.